HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with me, your host, Zara Tangora, and... Me, Bobby Comforto, your mom. How are you, Saz? Hi, Bobby. How are you? I feel like it's been forever since we've done this. I know. I feel a little rusty. <laughs> you don't look rusty at all. You're glowing and cute as ever. Um, what's going on with you today? How are you? Well, you know, it's funny. That used to be my nickname, Rusty. Really? <laughs> because I used to love to collect rusted metal. Oh, so right. I, have, I love rusted metal. So and your I favorite friend is Rusted to... Root. <laughs> And I had this friend that used to call me Rusty, so. You did? <laughs> I a, did. A secret nickname? Yep. Well, guys, it's uh, it's obvious what we need to do here. We need to start calling Bobby Rusty. <laughs> well, it's nice to have be back on the show here and have all of you listeners with us. And our show today is about um, a letter from a listener. And it was a wonderful letter. Ah, oh, such a letter. Mm-hmm. Dylan, our listener letter writer. We love you. What a sweet, wonderful, inter- and it took us to so many interesting different places. We had so many different conversations, like as offshoots of this gorgeous letter. So um, we're going to let you guys listen to the episode to hear more about the letter, but it was great. And we just like, we miss being around and we miss doing episodes, but we kind of get into that in the actual episodes. So we won't do a spoiler, but um, you have to listen to find out where we've been and where, what Rusty's been up to. <laughs> <laughs> Rusty's Adventures. We should write a children's book about you. That is so cute, Rusty. That's adorable. All right, Zaza. Um, <laughs> yes, Z- the Adventures of Zaza and Rusty. That will be the new name of this podcast. <laughs> Processing out. Um, guys, we really appreciate you listening. We miss you. We love you. We really look forward to being able to get more consistent about the show and keep putting out good content. And uh, we are so appreciative of all of you, of your faith in us and your loyalty and commitment to uh, being great listeners. So thank you so much for your love and support. And without any further adieu, Rusty and I bring you this listener letter episode of Processing.
Good morning, Bobby. Good morning, Zara. So good to see you. It's wonderful to see you too, as always. You look adorable. That's no surprise. How are you? I'm doing very good. I'm, the sun is out today. It's warmer. It just it just feels lighter and brighter. And uh, yeah, everything's pretty good. Good. How about um, you? Folks, we have been... I'm good. We've been away. I, I don't know if anyone's noticed, <laughs> but we hope you have. Um, we've been away and, you know, we've been trying, I think a couple months ago, you know, we took a little break and we're like, we're back from winter break and it's going to be better than ever. And I have been working on a project for the past four months that has been so demanding of my time and energy that it just became more complicated than I had, um, previously assumed to, you know, do all the things that go into making this show run, which a big part of it is like a guest outreach and booking guests and, you know, that's actually quite hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, uh, I think we, we just wanted to, well, I'll speak for myself. I needed some time to be able to like focus and make sure that I could do a good job at any one thing instead of doing a half job at Mm -hmm. a bunch of things. So I know that's perhaps if you're a loyal listener could have been disappointing to you. And I, we certainly don't want to be inconsistent with our recordings because I'm a podcast listener and I know when my favorite shows are inconsistent, I feel mad at them. I'm like, I need you. Where are you? Um, so, so sorry about that. And our hope for the future is to at whatever point to get the show in a more consistent way. Um, so we can we can deliver you the best possible content. So we're we're really actively trying to figure out how to do that. In the meantime, if you'd like to be a guest on the show and you have a story to share about the intersection of food and grief, please reach out to us. Um, processing at heritageradionetwork.com or uh, on our Instagram process. We are processing underscore podcast. And to take the risk of being a guest, because we know that it could feel like a really um, scary option. But um, yeah. As you hear, when you listen to our podcast with a guest, it's it's a conversation. It, that's all it is. And it, it we meet the guests where they're at. And there's no um, demand for anything except to just be present with us and we with you. So we hope that you will join us as a guest sometime. Come, come on down to process. Yeah. Come on down to process. It's <laughs> like a used car lot. And, and Zara, oh, no, you've, love been, to have you've you. been very busy doing your pop-up, which was wonderful. Zaza lasagna. It was an amazing feat. And you work so hard with, um, with your partner and Brian, and you did an amazing, amazing job. And there was a beautiful article in New Yorker magazine um, on March 28th. Uh, it's actually in the first few pages and it's about Zaza lasagna and the excitement that people participating in it might feel uh, and did feel because it was a wonderful, wonderful job that you did. I'm so proud of you. So oh, check it out, thanks, folks. Mom. It's a great article. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big honor to be featured in the New Yorker in the tables for two section, which is just something I, you know, have read for a really long time. And it just felt like a really distinct honor. So thank you to Hannah Goldfield who wrote that article. And for everyone that came by Zaza this season to participate, we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up for the summer after a little much needed break to rest our brains and our, and our arms and legs, because it was very tiring work. But yeah, it was great. And again, just a, um, an apology and a thank you to you guys for uh, being absent and for sticking with us. So thank you so much. And today... We have a special episode, and we haven't done this in a long time, Bobby. Mm-hmm. We have a listener letter. We're so glad to receive it. It's a beautiful letter. Do you want to read it? 
I will read it. Um, it's wonderful getting listener letters and we take it so to heart. Um, a, a lot of times folks write in uh, with letters and they prefer for it not to be read on the air. Some of them are just kind of messages to us. And some people are like, please, you know, in the before the letter, they're like, we'd love, I'd love to have this read on the air. And so this is one of those letters that we got uh, very recently, just came in the other day. We decided to read this one on the air. Um, so this comes from a listener named Dylan. Um, Dylan, thank you so much for writing in with this letter. And here goes. Uh, Dear Bobby and Zara, I love your show so much. I can't tell you how much it has helped me over the past year. I lost my wife, Trisha, in October 2019 to cervical cancer. And then came COVID. I found myself not only feeling scared and trapped like most people all over the globe, but also deeply feeling the absence of my other half. I couldn't help but wince every time I would hear someone say how sick of their spouse they were, being cooped up for all that time with them under one roof. Mm. I wanted to reach out and shake those people and scream to them, you don't know how lucky you are. I missed her with every cell in my body. I saw people learning to make sourdough bread, and I knew that Trish, if Trish had still been alive, she would have said something like, I'm busy enough trying to keep us alive. I can't <laughs> be bothered keeping this thing alive, too. Mm. Let's just order a pizza. But then after a week or two, I would have found her in the kitchen, mixing and kneading up to her elbows in bread dough. She was cute like that. She was cute in a lot of ways. She was my best friend in the whole world, and it has been the most harrowing journey of my life to find a way to clearing uh, to a clearing where I can see the world again. Mm. That's a really beautiful way of putting that, huh? Um, and when I do get a peek of it, I often feel so guilty for liking what I see. I remember the first time I laughed at a movie after mm. she died. After she died, I immediately burst into tears right after. I'm oh. so sorry. I thought I'm so sorry for laughing. I'm sorry for laughing. I know. Oh. With the support of a great therapist and my friends and family, I've been able to cope with the guilt of enjoying life a little more each mm. day. The feeling is still always there, and I know that she would have wanted me to be happy. She was the most supportive person in the whole world. But it's hard, the shame of happiness. That's a powerful concept. We'll talk more about that. The shame of happiness. Uh, it's been over two years since Trish passed, and I recently decided at the urging of my sister and her husband over a few bottles of wine mm. to put myself out there again. I made an online dating profile, mm. and after a lot of uncomfortable conversations that went nowhere, I met someone that I had a lot in common with and, most importantly, actually wanted to make a date. I feel you on that, uh, Dylan. We took it slow at first with a few walks and talks, coffee, and finally an early drink at a local bar. But then the big question, do you want to go out Friday night for dinner? Mm. I froze. I did want to go out to dinner with this woman. She was incredible. She is incredible. Funny and beautiful inside and out. But this is also... Uh, taking having fun to a whole new level. It was having fun with someone I liked. It means sharing food and laughing and joking in front of other people. What will they think? What would Trish think? Could we go to the place that Trish enjoy and I had enjoyed together? Together, I live in a smallish town. What if someone saw us and told Trish, wait, Trish is dead. Mm. Mm. I spiraled. She could tell and was so supportive and kind about it. And after a few minutes of sussing it all out, I said yes. We are going out to dinner mm. and I'm excited and I am terrified. And this is where you two wonderful women come in. Mm. I need your advice. I know what you're going to say, but I'm hoping you tell me anyway that it's okay to be happy. 
Thank you for all you do. You help so many people who are on the, their grief journeys, and that is a gift. I hope one day you do a live show. Oh, we'd love to <laughs> in the Boston area, right? Because that would be it. Would be great to meet you both. Mm. Uh, with love, Dylan Sheher. Dylan, thank you so much for that wonderful, mm. beautiful letter. That is so. I mean, it's so everything. It's it sad. It's kind it's uh really honest and really tender yeah Yeah, and hopeful and like I think so many people share that feeling I mean I know I have felt it even in like smaller ways I certainly haven't had a loss that's you know comparable to losing my spouse and then also go losing your spouse and going directly into like this Mm -hmm. big time of like surreal surreal lonely time there were so many ways, Dylan, that you phrased this that were so poetic and um, descriptive. You know, we said the shame of happiness before, but also taking life to a whole new level. And I think that's what you're really describing. It's like another, you know, when you're recuperating from an illness and it just seems like there's a step, you know, mm-hmm. model, you know, at first you can do this much and then you can do that much and then you can do the next thing. It seems taking it to a whole new level. It's like another step in your life to re-engage with life on such a level and to recognize that this is a new engagement with life. So, you know, you asked us, um, how can we help? And, um, you almost asked for permission, you know, to be happy again. But I guess really the truth is that, you know, that has to come from inside of you and we can only reflect it back to you, you know, and, and, um, in our discussion, um, to see, that we embrace, we either embrace life sometimes or we don't, or we're scared of life. I think the real thing is being afraid and doing it anyway. I always oh, love the, yes. the quote from Stephen Levine, one of my favorite quotes. And he said, fearlessness is not the absence of fear. It's being able to stand in the face of fear. And so Dylan, you know, you know, find that fearlessness in you. I'm sure you've had to use it every single day since you're, your partner died and um that's the point of just being fear feeling the fear and doing it anyway Mm, that's really like profound advice yeah I mean and I kind of think it's interesting you know because we talk about the intersection of food and grief on this show then you know the interesting kind of question of like well it was like going out to dinner you know Mm, what I mean and I'm curious I actually don't if you want to write us more I'd be so curious to know like what your dinners with Trish were like, was that like a thing? I'm assuming, and if this feels triggering for you, this was probably a thing that you guys did together, you Mm -hmm. know, going out and sharing a nice meal. And I know that like, and as someone who likes to do that too, with friends and family and with previous, you know, partners, um, that that specific level of magic and celebration, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's just going out to dinner. And sometimes like, I think in the best case scenarios and where restaurants and are at their absolute best is it serves as this like, you know, backdrop for a big memory, you and know, for, and a for big rela- memory. And for relating, for relationship. Yeah, a yeah. first date and yes, and like negotiating mm-hmm. uh, navigating a menu and sharing and what you like, what you don't like and mm-hmm. all these like, things like and especially for like a first real date um it just feels like a a trail marker I've often thought of restaurants at at this way you know yeah and the like 
the profound nature of spaces like that and how they like really serve as like such a, you know, a backdrop, such a really important part, a character in the story of our lives and a tether to something we can remember um, because it's like, Oh, that place. Right. And then we had that. And then like, we tasted this, it, we both enjoyed it. We did it. We laughed about this. Like it just is so, it's so, um, it's a big step to go out to dinner yeah. with somebody. It's a vision of a, of a memory. But I think was really significant, um, Dylan, what you said was that it's in public and that you had mm. been going to a quiet bar where nobody sees you or taking a walk with, you know, where nobody really recognizes. It's, it feels like it's witnessed. You know, you're, you're, people are, you're witnessed other people. And I think that's part of it that's significant too about it. And you're right. You learn a lot about somebody when with their eating. You know, what are their habits? What are their interests? What do they like? Yeah, are they nice to the server? Yes. Are they, you know what I mean? If they're not, then you're yeah. like, well, I guess we're not having any more dates. Yeah. You know, it's really like, it's a big deal. And it's stressful. And it's it could potentially be a lot of fun. So, Mom, I want to, like, ask you your professional opinion. Is yeah. this something, I'm assuming that this is a theme that probably comes up in your work a lot with people who are bereaved um, with, you know, do we have a name for this? Is this something that you can kind of shed some more light on in terms of, uh, you know, what we're talking about here, the, the guilt of happiness. Yes. After actually, we lose actually it's a, a really, uh, powerful, uh, concept and it comes out of a model of, um, bereavement actually called the dual model of, um, grief. And what it means, and I call it living with grief, but what it means is that at the same time, we're doing two things. And one thing is that we're working on the loss and the loss orientation. Certainly in the beginning, first, you know, after a loss happens, the few weeks, months um, afterwards, it's just a focus on grief. And grief is in front of you. You can't barely see life because grief is right in front of your face, you know, every moment and sleeping, waking, every bit of that time and the exhaustion that comes from that. And so it's loss-oriented in the beginning. There's grief work that you're doing. There's um, intrusions of grief, like waves of grief, people describe it. Um, You're having to let go of so many things at the same time. You're working between denial of that it happened, you can't believe that it happened, and then the awareness that it happened hitting you like a a wave, like a big tidal wave. Um, There's avoidance. You know, many people just want to often just go into bed, put the covers over their head, don't really want to go out. And certainly during COVID, that was um, supported by what was happening in, in the world. So I can't imagine, Dylan, what that was like for you over this time, because there is an avoidance of wanting to be in the world and you want to stay inside. And then there's also like um, all the changes that are happening to you and you, the awareness of it is scary and you start to feel guilt about it. It's like, I thought it was lovely, she said about uh, the description of how just watching a movie and feeling yourself laugh and it just feels like I should be doing this. How can I do this when, when she's not here? You know, how, how am I allowed to live, you know, when, when she's not, and I, I don't deserve it. And I don't, but then at the same time, there's this restorative process that's happening and it's just natural. It's part of, it's part of how we heal physically. I always think the metaphor of looking how we heal physically is a perfect, metaphor for how we heal psychically and emotionally you know we have a terrible wound it starts to heal without us even doing anything it starts slowly the little cells are starting to knit so that's called the restorative orientation and there we're starting to attend to the changes that are happening in life 
you know, we have to meet them whether we like it or not. We have to learn new things. We have to, right. yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt it's you, okay. but I'm just curious about something when you're talking about, I think it's interesting. You're talking about like your body and your brain starts to heal, whether we kind of like it or not. Right. Yeah. But I think it's in those moments where you're, you know, it can either heal funky like when you have a broken bone that right. maybe you never get fixed and then right. you like exactly. all of a sudden you're like, oh God, I never, I couldn't afford to get this fixed because I right. didn't have insurance and now I have, you know, I'm slumped over or I have like this chronic pain because this never really healed the right way. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. even if that happens, you know, you can get it fixed years later. You can crack it back open and heal it. Right. It's not like it's permanent, but I do think that that can happen a lot. And I think that's kind of an interesting way of looking at it, right? That like, yes. it's going to heal. Yeah. It's your, your brain and body needs it to heal. Right. And so if you're not going along with that. Well, we're going to talk you know a little I mean? bit more that I want to, after I describe a little bit more about the restorative orientation, I want to talk about resistance and what that really means. Because I think it's what mm. you're saying is, is that sometimes we resist healing in certain ways like in other words if you were healing from a um a surgery and you didn't try to eat well or you didn't try to when the physical therapist said to get up and try to move and you said no mm -hmm. i don't want to or i can't or you know so we're going to talk right. more about resistance um and also like you say you know we don't necessarily want to see ourselves moving ahead it feels sometimes safer to just curl up it feels less threatening it feels takes less risk um you don't have to face your fear. You can just, you know, pull back. Right. So go, just going back to the restorative orientation, um, there's always this, you know, a denial and avoidance kind of going on with grief and then facing it. And I always say that grief is about accepting the reality of the loss over and over and over and over again, because it's, it smacks you in the face. It just hits you right there, the reality. Um, and then this with the restorative concept, is all these new roles that you start to experience. So I imagine for Dylan, you know, she began to do the things that Trish didn't do. She began to take over some of the roles that Trish took on. She, um, and then there's the new identities in the world. You know, people always tell me when they go to a doctor's office and they have to fill in married, single, you know, and all of a sudden they're looking at it and say, what is my new role in life? So these know, things are hitting really all the time, over and over, the identities. And then the new relationships. You know, many people, particularly, I work a lot with spouses. I mean, I work with many people that have many kinds of losses, but I do work with spouses recently. I have a lot of spouses in my practice. And, you know, one thing they realize is that their relationships are changing. You know, we, we often have talked about the concept of fifth wheel. You know, you go out with your friends who are couples, you know, and, and you're, it's three of you that go out or five of you that go out. And that feeling like, you know, who am I now? You know, we've talked about the tasks of grief and how one of them is, who am I now? So our relationships change, you know, in this restorative concept. And part of that is new relationships that you make with people who are now available to do things with you. You know, where your friends on Sundays are all busy with their families and, you know, you just, I, I need new friends in my life. So I think that what's happening, the important thing here, and this is why it's called the dual model, is that both things are happening at once. And of course, as I said, in the beginning of grief, it's loss oriented, but slowly, slowly, little things are happening and changes are happening. And it's not linear. It's not like it's back and forth and back and forth. So when you go into the restorative mode, and that's what this letter, Dylan's letter was saying, is that it's scary. It's like, I want to run back to the other. I shouldn't be restoring myself. I shouldn't be entering the world anew. 
you know, this isn't right. And it feels scary and you just want to run back. So it's not linear. It goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I think that's what we're hearing, Dylan, in your letter, that, you know, you're experiencing a natural part of grief where you're entering the world again and it feels uncertain and you feel guilt about it and you wonder what Trish would think. And I asked you a question now, Dylan, and this is what came up when I thought about your letter. If you could imagine a year from now, how would you like to picture yourself? You know, how do you picture yourself living? How do you picture yourself? Um, what do you picture yourself doing in life? How do you picture yourself feeling? And I think that will be helpful for you to have that vision. Because when we can envision something, then that denotes where we put our attention. If that makes sense. Yeah. It does make sense. Yeah. And then also to offer yourself the kindness if you do end up a year from now and it's not where you want it to be, that's okay too. Oh, this but is it just is a nice vision. It never works it. out. Yeah, exactly. The is not, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, oh no, don't put that. Oh, but yeah, no, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I have friends who've lost people and we talk about it sometimes and I'm thinking about one person in particular who I know has a lot of guilt around the loss of his mom. And we talk about it a lot, and I I know this person to be someone who's, like, punishing, who's like, well, I'm guilty about what happened with my mom. I feel guilt about it, and so I don't think he outrightly says, so because of that, I shouldn't have anything. But that is the, the vibe. And I've said to him in the past, I'm like, you know, it's this is a harsh thing to say to people sometimes, but I think to just think about it, like, this isn't, and I, I want to like stay away from too often saying this person would have wanted that or this person wouldn't have mm-hmm. wanted that because mm-hmm. that's not fair to like mm-hmm. speak for someone who can't right. speak for themselves. But if somebody loved you, you know what I mean? That much, a parent who you had a close relationship with, a partner that you loved and loved you back, they wouldn't want you to punish yourself. That's almost 100% guaranteed. Right. If we were to really think about if someone while they were still alive before they passed away and said, well, you're going to pass away when you do. Would you like your child to punish themselves because they feel like they could have done more? Would you like your partner to please refrain from laughter and from, you know, happiness? Because, you know, of course, the answer would be no. Right. Um, But I think there's something in that in that in like punishing ourselves and in, in uh, refusing to have joy and pleasure after we feel like we fucked something up after. And it doesn't even have to be after someone died. It could be the guilt you have in a breakup, the guilt you have over how you, you know, had interactions with family members in time that if you continue to punish yourself, and this is obviously not a like realistic thought, it wouldn't have happened. You know what I mean? Like it's not real. Well, it's magical loss, thinking. It's magical right, thinking. Yeah. Like the, the loss isn't real. So if I continue to just punish and punish, like eventually I will punish my way into this not being true. I think that's what goes on in people's brains in a subconscious level sometimes. I think you have a good point. It's like still being stuck in a bargaining in a magical place, magical right. thinking place where you think if if you can go backwards. Right. If you deny and yourself. And I will refrain myself from, I will refrain from living life and or, from joy. Right, from going forwards. Right. Because... I don't think that people really think, generally speaking, and I don't want to speak for everyone, but a lot of the time that they don't really deserve it. I think we know in our hearts that we're human and we deserve, you know what I mean? I believe in absolution and I actually think a lot of people do. 
whether they admit to it or not. And um, for anyone who doesn't, you deserve to be absolved. You know what I mean? Like everyone does. Mm -hmm. And people are, have immense amounts of forgiveness in their heart and an immense amounts of like space. And, you know, I think there's also like, you know, people have different relationships to the dead and different ideas about what happens after you die, whether, you know, people can see you or not, but in some way, like, you know, I think that like, I don't know. I just, I think that people think if they have, if they are enjoying their lives, they're going to be judged by society, by their past loved one, by whatever. And, and the truth is, is like, maybe, maybe someone will say, see you out at dinner and be like, Oh, I can't believe Trish is out at dinner, but fuck that person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause people who really love you will not think that. The last thing to worry about is what other people are thinking. But you know, I heard you, you brought up two interesting points. One is that I think what I hear you saying is sometimes if you had some guilt either in your relationship or you had guilt that you grew up with, you know, because we, we most of us grew up with some sense of shame and guilt. It's not a good thing, but you know, it's something we have to work through and heal. That sometimes that gets projected onto you into the future as if you have to right. somehow pay pay for anything you've ever done, you know, that or, or for not being good enough, which is not true but it's a deeply held negative belief. And so it's like, I can't choose life. I have to go backwards and choose punishment. You know, so that's what I hear you saying. But I was wondering, what about if you're in a relationship with your uh, partner, spouse, and um, they were jealous in the relationship and there was jealousy mm, in the relationship. That's so fascinating. Yeah. Right. And so you think, actually, they wouldn't have wanted me to be happy in this way. They would have been fucking pissed. Yeah. I never asked that question, by the way. I never, I never say to somebody, you know, wouldn't they want you to be happy? I never, ever ask that question. I don't think it's a good yeah. question yeah. to do necessarily, like, I don't necessarily stand behind it, but I do think that there's some level of, like, actually thinking about that. Then maybe the answer is, no, they wouldn't have wanted me to be happy. They actually were really jealous, mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. were a punishing person, yeah. and they were, like, really insecure, and then that opens up a whole new thing. The point is, I think, the, of asking like that is that like it actually ask demands for you to be present right now and say, "Do I want to be happy?" You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, do I want to be happy? If that person, if the answer is no, that person was like a kind of a shithead in that way, and they really didn't want the best of, for me. We had a really complicated relationship. Well, then it's like, well, you know what? Now I have the freedom to feel exactly. like I can. So and if the answer is the opposite, yeah. right. yes, right. they really would have wanted me to thrive. They yeah. would have wanted me to live. Then also permission to go ahead and live. Either way, exactly. at the end of the day, the answer exactly. is the same. Exactly. It comes from from inside. Um, but you know, but I do else. think it's a good. I, I'm is. sorry. Of I wanted to finish my is. point. I do think it's a good thing to think about. It doesn't have to be something you put everything on, because I think we convince ourselves often. That 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 even the kindest, most benevolent, lost loved one who truly would want nothing but good for their yeah. their for you wants you to be punished. I think that you're like I think we can often create a story in our head that like we deserve to be punished, and this is why, and here's another reason why. And I think sometimes, whether it be that question or other questions, taking the time to stop and suss out whether like what you 
our thinking is true? Is it based in any kind Very of important fact? Mm-hmm. Is it based in anything that is factual or, or is, is it based belief. in your own? Yeah. Right. Or is it based in your own trauma responses? Exactly. Is it based in your own history? That's is right. it based in your own like self-deprecating like way of thinking about yourself or is it real? And that's you know where a good mean? therapist can help you because that's part of what they would do. But, you know, it's another very important point is that sometimes it's not just punishment. It's it's more like, not even I don't deserve to be happy. I'm not happy. And that's mm. a big deal. You know, many people, their families are telling them it's, it's okay. They give them permission, go out, enjoy yourself. It's okay. But they say, but I'm just sad. And yeah. that brings up the concept of living as if, which means that often we just have to live as if it's okay live as if we care, live as if life matters. Because if we don't, it's like you said before about um, dysregulated healing, we get off track, really, really off track. We stop feeding ourselves, nourishing ourselves, caring about ourselves. And because we, that's how we feel. And then we're off track. So I tell people often, we have to live as if it's okay to live, even though you don't really believe it. And I think like also just a reality is that life is very brutal. It's really hurtful. It's disappointing. It's traumatic. It's awful. It fucks and it fucks with you and like throws you like curveballs all the time. And sometimes it's easy for some people. It's easier for some people than others. And I think it's just kind of like realistically like, well, yes. And you know what I mean? Yes. And Mm -hmm. like, the duality. Both what are do true. you, but right. what would you like, but still you are alive, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But still you are alive. So right. what would you like to be able to kind of get out of this bit of time that you've got left? Yes. Exactly. What's happened to you is horrifying. Yes. It's not fair and it's painful and mm-hmm. it will never probably go away. And this, what bullshit that whoever is listening in their own specific situation should have to deal with this kind of like, awful pain all the time and And, most important not but and you know and you still have opportunity to like squeeze little bits of joy out of life and try to live it if you'd like to you know what I mean but that is up to you absolutely it brings up a very important concept and it's a buddhist concept about um the belief that pain and suffering are different so I wonder, what do you think about that? How do you see pain and how do you see suffering? What do you think the difference is? Well, I think that pain is absolutely inevitable and suffering is at a certain point a choice. So tell, I don't think it's holistically yeah. a choice because I think that there are environmental and life circumstances that make it very difficult for people to escape their suffering. So I think it would be coming from a point of way too much privilege and blindness to say that suffering is whole, right. wholly, uh, unav- uh, wholly avoidable, right? It'd be like, just avoid it. It's totally avoidable. There's lots of people out there with lots of different life circumstances that, um, and going through all kinds of different things that I, I couldn't possibly stand here and say that like suffering is wholly avoidable and that there's choice Um, that there's much choice exactly I think that a lot of times that can be true I think it has to do with I think it I'm trying to think of like you know people who are um experience her living in war-torn countries and like to mm-hmm. say to them well yeah. your suffering is a choice look at what's happening I mean? in ukraine just the example of there are other countries where there's t- yes and in palestine and, and yemen and exactly. all over the exactly. world and like 
and to you know people who are experiencing houselessness and and hunger and um physical abuse and disease right so it's like okay yes but i still do believe also in the human spirit and i hope i would say that with the, what do i think but the differences between pain and suffering i think pain is inevitable and i would hope that for people in their lives that they are able to find a way to overcome suffering. I know that doesn't always happen, but I hope for people to have that. The Buddhist philosophy, there's a belief of the way how to do that. And the best way I can describe this is through physical injury again. So if you imagine having chronic physical pain, right? And it's pain, it's terrible, terrible pain. The thought is the more we resist it, like if we're sitting there with physical pain, we're saying, I hate this, this sucks, this is terrible. That's the more we suffer. The more we accept it and actually go into it. You know, the concept is, is when you have physical pain, the thought is that you go into the pain, see what it feels like in your body, notice it while you keep breathing, and then you suffer less. So the concept is that the more we resist things, the more we suffer. And I used to use this experiment with the uh, Chinese, um, it's a a little toy where you put your fingers in it. It's a a finger trap. Finger trap. And you put your fingers in, and when you try to take them out, the more you fight it, the fact that it's squeezing you, you can't get out. Mm -hmm. But if you calmly accept, okay, I'm trapped in this right now, I have to moment by moment move my fingers out, you can release yourself from the suffering. I think it's kind of a good example. I do too. And I also think that much like astrology and horoscopes, that this is not applicable to everyone, unfortunately. But I do think it's applicable to a lot of people who are listening. And I think so it's still extremely good advice. But like, again, I try to think of like, with astrology, like, is a baby like you know what I mean like a baby gets its horoscope like you're gonna come into like a time of great prosperity with your finances you know what I mean like that doesn't apply to a baby and I in the same way like or like you know a 90 year old person like a horoscope doesn't apply in the same way I don't think that this concept of like pain plus resistance equals suffering applies to everyone like we were just talking about there are people who are in such extreme positions of pain and and suffering I don't think that that works but I do think for most people listening to the show it is applicable that's my well the truth is you know in my experience in working with people if you look at it from the bigger perspective it is does really fit and it is applicable to our situations because even in the worst of situations when we accept what is for that moment it relieves some of the tightness and stress and tension that we're experiencing just some totally just I, I think the people who are listening probably really but i'm trying to say as an overarching concept like someone who is having really deep untreated mental health issues i don't think can use that you, you just ask like what my opinion of it is and i think that it's generally speaking a great way of thinking about if you have the privilege to be able to use this concept and to grasp it and understand it and if you have the wherewithal where it sinks that can sink in then I think absolutely and I think even people like we look at people like Nelson Mandela who are like imprisoned for large portions of their lives and found out ways to like get through that and and utilize that experience to 
you know, create incredible work, uh, works of writing and to be an incredibly inspirational figure when they came out of jail. Like there's all these different people. The, bird, the Birdman of Alcatraz, even, you know, the Birdman of Alcatraz, similar, you know, accepted where he was and was able to find the bird outside the window. But what I want to talk about just for a moment is that in the grief perspective, in working with people who have lost, there is a point when you come to accept the reality more and you're mm-hmm. right. Sometimes, as you were describing before about your friend, some people have a, re- a lot of um, difficulty and struggle, even accepting the real- reality over time of something. You know, they have found ways to avoid actually moving ahead in life. And therefore, yeah. they don't have that opportunity to accept the reality as well. And so what happens right. is, is I tell people somewhere along the line, after time after time of getting hit with the reality over and over is a point where they say, you know, something, this really happened. It really happened. Yeah. And I am really here. And they seem to make a turn at that point more towards themselves, towards their own life. And so that's kind of going back to Dylan again, Dylan is what's kind of happening with you that I'm sure over these last two years, there's been over and over that struggle to accept this or believe that this is true and then it sounds like you're at a point now where you're saying, you know, it's really true that Trish isn't here and this is my life now and I have to decide how I'm going to live it. And do I want to live it with some sense of, you know, happiness and peace and enjoyment? And if I do, then what will be the choices I'll make that will help support that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Trish, I really, we really hope that you, whether you decide to take this chance or not, I mean, mm. I think why not, yeah. you know? it will be great or it will be terrible or it will be benign and really nothing will happen, you know, but I think like not living is not the best option for you. And, you know, if it feels too overwhelming in this moment and you don't do it, it doesn't mean you're bad or you're like weak or anything. It just means you're like listening to yourself, but do that. Hopefully if you decide not to go, you do that from an empowered place of self-care and not from fear, you know, because like what you were saying before, fearlessness isn't the absence of fear, which I think is so important and so true. Um, and whether or not Trish would have wanted you to be happy, like, and I'd like to think mm-hmm. just the way you describe your relationship with her, she would. But whether or not she would, you want yourself to be happy, I think. It sounds like you do. And we do, too. And you deserve it, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what happened, no matter what you've done or not done or whatever transpired or anything that we don't know about in your past or all of the things that make people so complex, you deserve it. Everybody does, you know, everybody really does. Um, and I hope that you find it and I hope that you have a delicious dinner yes. if you go <laughs> and then it's fun. Tell and us something what you funny had for happens. dinner. Right. Tell us what you had for dinner. <laughs> some of the most funny I have I don't know why this like just jumped into my head but I was on a really great date one time um it was actually like a boyfriend of mine so it was a date but a date with a boyfriend and we we're having the best time and uh it was like a magical night at a restaurant we really love um and I like had a you know maybe a, like an extra glass of wine and I leaned over and I lit my hair on fire <laughs> I lit my hair on fire and it was so embarrassing. And um, this, the, one of the servers at the restaurant, a woman named Marika, which some of you listening might know Marika was so awesome. She just came right over. We're at Marlon Sons and she put my hair out. 
So I hope that that doesn't happen, that you light your hair on fire. (laughs) But maybe something funny and less dangerous will happen. Please let us know how it goes. And and I hope that you get to eat something delicious and have a nice memory, or at least a funny memory. That's a great story. And even if nothing happens and it's terrible or it, like, goes badly, you did it. You took the chance. You You stepped out into into your world. I want to uh, read a quote that I read before, but it really fits now. And it says, time alone does not heal. It is the loyalty of life that heals. Time alone will not give us this moment, only our willingness to be alive again. Mm. That's beautiful. So be alive, Dylan. Dylan. Thank you so much. Thank you for this wonderful letter. And folks out there, um, if you would like your listener letter read on the air, please go ahead and send it over to Processing. Podca- uh, processing at heritageradionetwork.org or even better um drop us a line if for some reason we don't get back to you or your email right away um sending us a direct message on instagram at processing underscore podcast is a great way to make sure we get in touch and we'd love to have you as a guest and we love all of you and dylan just to be really kind of wrap it all up um to answer your question very directly yes you <laughs> you do deserve Mm-hmm. to be happy mm-hmm. and it's okay to laugh and eat steak tartare. <laughs> um, so we love you guys and thank you so much for tuning in and we look forward to joining you again next week with um, some more of our show. Bobby, I bid you adieu. You too. I hope it's a, a, a gentle week for everybody. Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay. Take care of Take yourselves care. and each other. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush green hills of Wisconsin bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.